Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. Welcome back, everybody. It's Tuesday, June 27th with Tim O'Malley. I'm Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated, joined by the Athletics' Pete Sampson. The big news from this past week was a verbal commitment from four-star athlete Briante Johnson. He commits to Notre Dame. Big catch for them. Um, could, could play on either side of the ball, but Notre Dame clearly has pegged him as a free safety prospect. And, and I want to say this, I think he, he made the decision football over basketball. That's what he wants to do. He feels like that's where his greatest upside is. But if you want to get a really good look at Briante Johnson, Tay Johnson, uh, watch him on the basketball court. Cause I think he's, I think his athleticism really shows there and makes him a really special uh, athlete that, that, that can't, that will, uh, carry over to the football field on the collegiate level. Yeah, he's, he stood out two years ago or two summers ago at Irish Invasion, I felt. Um, and also he was, in terms of when people want to know about real speed, he was one of the last three in the final sprint um, that the whole camp did. And it's relevant. It was pointed out by another writer at the time who made a good point. Part of the reason that quarter, the famous backup quarterback no one heard of one was he was not running sprints all day long like the defensive backs and wide receivers were. So Bronte Johnson was... A, Brayante Johnson, we're going to get it right, right? Brayante Johnson, a uh, month and a half ago, when all of a sudden Tom Loy said Brayante Johnson is very much in play for Notre Dame, I was right. that that made me look a bit. Oh, I know that guy. That and that's that's a legit, it's a legit safety prospect as an athlete. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's long and sort of. I mean, he's kind of got like he's long, but like longer than he is tall. Um, and he's and he's tall as is. Um, so just like. This is the kind of prospect that you want to develop over four years and sort of see what you got. Um, yeah, there's just there's just a ton to work with. It's like the exact kind of body type that I think um, you know Notre Dame would want to develop. And uh, Tim, just so you know that that quarterback James, I think it was Resser. Uh, yes, he's committed, yeah. he's committed to Iowa, so you'll be able to <laughs> see him on. Uh, NBC's primetime coverage of big time football. It's he's going like to have to run the ball. He's going to have to run the ball as fast yeah. as he can. Good thing he's and fast. When Iowa's averaging 11.2 points per game. Yeah. <laughs> number verbal commitment number 21 for Notre Dame with Tay Johnson. Um, you know, not a ton of experience as a safety per se, but I, I think that you know, I think that's a really, really significant catch for Notre Dame. Um, and and while we are talking about recruiting here in this first segment. You know, I did a uh, had an interview with with Marcus Freeman, and we talked about a variety of things. And one of them was pass rush. We we know that he and Notre Dame and Al Golden they're concerned about a consistent pass rush. And I thought he mapped out a a, a pretty good plan with, you know, we we know the guys. I mean, JJB and, and Nana Safo Mensa on on the strong side with Botello, Tui Alamaka, and uh, and. Uh, Name me the converted linebacker for me. So I, yeah, help me out there. 
Which one? I mean, you got two Halamaka, you got Burnham. Yeah, know, Burnham. They, they Burnham. keep going. Yeah. Yes. Actually, yeah, no. but, actually, Batello is also a converted linebacker. Yeah, Tim, you as you front. say this, um, I'm I'm just thinking about Brian Kelly replacing Manti Teo with, oh, we're just going to rotate. Um, like, <laughs> we don't have Isaiah Foskey. Just, just throw five guys out there and see what happens. Yeah, you know, and, and so that uh, it, it's a concern with the, that group. Now, in, in Marcus Freeman's explanation, I mean, clearly Jalen Sneed and Maris Leofow are in play with the pass rush. And, and before everybody jumps to the conclusion that Leofow is going to be hitting the middle of the line of scrimmage and getting stymied like he did all last year, the idea is for him to come off the edge. We saw some right. of that in the spring. So, you know, when you throw those two guys into the equation, we have questions about Jalen Sneed in the second segment. So we'll get into that a little bit more when we get to that portion of, of the podcast. But my point being, Logan Thomas, I like Logan Thomas. I, he's got a ways to go. He's going to have to add, you know, weight uh, to play on this level. But he's still just a senior in high school. But after that, Elijah Rushing is not coming to Notre Dame. Uh, that would be a massive upset at this point. And, it, it, you know, if you finish this cycle with one true Viper, because I think Cole Mullins and Bryce Young are strong side defensive ends, one Viper end in this class is just it's just not good enough, especially when you consider the state of the position going in. As you say, I mean, those are a bunch of converted linebackers, which you know, a lot of times outside linebacker defensive end, they kind of blend into each other, but that wasn't necessarily the case with Burnham, and that wasn't necessarily the case with Tui Alamaka either. And I I would like to circle back with Marcus Freeman and Al Washington, even Al Golden on this. Washington kind of noted, and maybe I took it wrong, but he this is how he talked about it in the spring, that that Viper position is actually supposed to be the linebacker-type body, which makes Isaiah Foskey, and we're all going to laugh at this, which makes Isaiah Foskey not the prototype for the Viper position. Clearly, it's better to have the Foskey guy that you have to teach to drop back into coverage, kind of like Julian Aquara was. It, you know, he, he dropped back into coverage. He picked off a pass. I think you guys all remember a couple years ago before Foskey became famous, in 2020, he's covering a guy in the end zone against Boston College when they're out in Boston College, and he's he's making a few plays. We stopped seeing that. I just think Washington probably said this is the this is what the position means because that's all they have for the position to mean right now. I, I think if you had Julian Aquara, they wouldn't say, "Hey, Joshua Burnham's really long and can drop into coverage." Yeah, that's. I mean, you when you priest your story where you sort of just list everybody there, like if it was if there was a Fosky or an Aquara. It, you probably wouldn't spend much time on pass rush with Marcus Freeman anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, Teller Freeman could did be a very good pass like, rusher. It's a concern. Um, you know, I think he's kind of optimistic by nature that they'll have a solution for it. But uh, I mean, I I remember talking to Brian Kelly in 2019 in the preseason, and like even back then, he said his biggest concern was pass rush, um, and that was when Okwara was out the door and Tillery was out the door. You know, but they had Khalid Kareem and Dalen Hayes, and that's when Agade Ogandeji came on, and I think Jameer Jones kicked in a little bit in 19, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, I mean, that that was the last year I remember talking to head coach and pass rush, which was a huge, huge concern, and it worked out just fine. So you need – but you need you need a lot of good stories. Like, um, you know, we reference Amir Bilal and Jonas Gray, like the seniors who hadn't done a whole lot, and then they kick it on. Like, you probably need a couple of those on the pass rush, or you need Batello to really have one of those seasons that we're talking about five years from now. And I think 
realistically, I'm sorry for one second, but Tello can. I don't think that's mm-hmm. that's not out of the blue at all. That no, would be an Asmar Bilal we all see coming as opposed to not see coming. He really should kick it on right now. I agree. I think Bilal's or uh, <laughs> I think I think Batello is going to have an excellent season rushing the passer. But again, in our conversation with Marcus Freeman, part of it was, you know, they got to get subs in, and when somebody's playing tempo against you, it's difficult to get subs in. I, I don't for, from the the nature of the conversation, it sounded like Batello's not a first and second down choice at. at at Viper. That's got to be, and he didn't say Tui Alamaka, but you've got, you've got to defend the run on first down. Not that they can't, you know, of course they can pass on that, but you know, we got in a long conversation about, you can't, you've got to have your rundown defenders on the field in first down, generally speaking, unless you know, the opponent is throwing pass after pass. And there's teams that throw pass after pass after pass. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. So that could be the situation, but you've got a substitute and then, you're dealing with tempo at times. So that can be a little bit of an issue. But my, the whole point of all of this was Logan Thomas is not, a, for me anyway, Logan Thomas is not enough in this class. And, uh, you know, I know Nordame's going to say Cole Mullins can, well, we'll start him out at Viper. I think he's going to outgrow that. Bryce Young's already outgrown it. I never, I never thought even when he hadn't gone through another growth spurt, I didn't think that he was a Viper end. So that's an issue, especially on a team right now that doesn't have a lot of natural Viper type players. And you guys point is clear and good in that, you know, in Foskey, you could play them on rundowns, you could play them on pass downs, but they don't really have a lot of options like that right now. So, yeah, it's, I mean, for me, among all the freshmen, like, I don't know if he's the most interesting freshman, but Bubakar Traore is like, that's top top three of guys I'm most interested to sort of see on what one month from today when we were out there for practice number one um that will be one of the guys I'm I I want to see first so like all right does this guy pass just give me the eye test on day one and then like a couple years from now or a year from now or maybe even a couple a few months from now if he's a like what, I'm trying to remember how much Isaiah Foskey played as a freshman. That was the year. Do you block up? That was just standards? four. That was that was four games at the end, though. Right. It was yeah. just four games. Yep. Yeah, that. But that he, was all he did something where you're like, okay, I could, I could, I like what they have here. We'll see where it goes. Like that's, I would like to see something similar from Traore. It would be I, a good I, sign. It would be a good sign because they do have eight guys that can play. So if all of a sudden they play a ninth and he's a true freshman, that means they they wanted him on the field. They didn't yeah. need him on the field barring injuries. Yeah. I just, I, you know, you want to see a Viper who they recruited as a Viper play Viper. <laughs> Viper, Viper, but yes, Viper across the board. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about Traore is very little playing time the last couple of years. So he's a pretty inexperienced football player right now. And I, and again, I do think that he projects more towards the strong side, but I'm glad you mentioned him, Pete, because I do think that, I do think that like when we talk about options, I think, as we sit here right now, I look at him as a little bit more of an option than I do Cole Mullins down the road. So, you know, we we'll see about that. We want to wrap up this first segment, Tim, uh, Tim O'Malley has been doing our uh, know your foes section, uh, the, the typical series that we run during the summer. Tim, uh, yeah, I know you're 
probably past the halfway point now. No, we fit, I'll, I'll be finishing it up here soon um, because Navy doesn't have accepting transfers. So I'll just go ahead and write that's a note a, on that one when that happens. Well, but um, halfway point. Uh, yeah, this this one's not typical though because it's all transfer portal. Uh, that didn't exist two years ago for our summer series. This is completely transfer portal. And I, I notice there is a bias on our board, believe it or not, towards Notre Dame and their spot in the transfer portal because I'm going to run down the Power 5 transfer portal numbers and people keep saying i can't believe notre dame can't be better in the transfer portal obviously usc last year is the notable exception that notre dame will never catch in a transfer portal where they bring in a whole team including the heisman trophy winner that is not going to happen but for instance this year usc lost 17 players of the portal and brought in 13 that's a good healthy number but they needed 13 and they brought in three offensive line transfers that are probably going to start now, a lot of Notre Dame fans on our board got upset that, can you imagine bringing in three starters up front? No, because Notre Dame recruits offensive linemen better than that. I don't want to bring in three starters up front. Right. Where USC did well is they brought in two defensive line starters up front, including a guy that had a sack in the national championship game last year. That I don't see Notre Dame doing either. So you can still be jealous about USC. But other than that, Duke brought in three and lost 13. Now, they had guys come in, but they had to leave school immediately after spring. Ohio State brought in eight, including a freshman All-American corner, which is great. But they lost some decent players, too. Seven. Nobody was going to make a big impact. I don't need to go over what happened to Wake Forest in the transfer portal, because we all know that was a problem for their team, no matter what. But they only brought in five guys. NC State brought in six, and he listed their best player as Brennan Armstrong. I'd rather bring in Sam Hartman and all these other guys that are coming in. Pittsburgh brought in five and lost 11, listing their best player. Now, these are the writers, but they follow the team as Phil Dracovic. Yeah. Notre Dame is doing better than their opponents in the transfer portal. Stanford, I don't even need to go over because Stanford is absolutely screwed in the transfer portal era. They can't get anything in. They lost 20. Part of it was losing David Shaw. You, when you lose your coach, you're going to have guys transfer out. They brought in six, and it's the narrowest window in the world to get people into Stanford, apparently, for the transfer portal. So that's never happening. Going through other Power 5 teams, even Louisville lost 12. They brought in a ton, though. They, they brought, brought in a ton, but that is a coach, that's a coaching change, though. Right. That, you know, they have it, Some of these things are based on coaching changes. Unless you're going to be jealous of USC, which I think will do better at the skill, at the most important playoff positions. They could do just as well a quarterback all the time as Notre Dame. They have proven that. Defensive end, defensive tackles, gonna, they're going to be better than Notre Dame at bringing those guys in because they can bring in juniors and seniors. And grad transfers, defensive tackles, I know Fisk would have been an addition, but you're not bringing in a Georgia starter or a Georgia player defensive end. He's going pro. I think Notre Dame is doing pretty well in the transfer portal. It's just last year was so seismic with a guy like Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison and all these guys. And of course, that's Notre Dame's biggest rival. So it's a big deal. I think they did well in the portal this year, at least compared to their opponents in Ohio State, Clemson and USC are the, are the measuring blocks for Notre Dame right now. I agree, hundred percent. Like I, I think that Notre portal success this cycle in particular is is sort of underrated by Notre Dame's own fan base in a lot of ways. And like you know, to your point about USC bringing in a guy who got a sack in the national championship game. Well, I mean, Notre Dame brought a guy who got a sack in the college football playoff or half a sack at least. So, I I think Notre Dame had a a near perfect transfer portal this year. Uh, with Priester's um, Fisk. Fisk man Fisk <laughs> being the exception. But like, 
I mean, Antonio Carter, he even, they even got him in the month of May so he could retire Nick McLeod. I mean, there's, there's a lot to like about pretty much everything that they did um, short of one. I mean, essentially fist could be like another Riley Mills body type. You can't really have too many of those, like a, just a bigger, longer, thicker guy. Um, but I thought it did a really, really nice job. And like, this is, I, O'Malley, I think you weren't on last week when I was talking about this. Like, I do think Notre Dame needs to at least be a little bit leery of the fact that like, okay, a lot of these portal availabilities are COVID years. That's going to go away pretty soon. And so how can, are you able to sort of pivot and still find as many guys as, as you did this year? Or do you, do you go back down to sort of taking maybe four a year? Yeah, we thought Notre Dame did a, a pretty decent job. And then they got Antonio Carter, who's going to play a significant. And Ford and Devin Ford. And, yeah, and yeah. Devin and Dev yeah. Ford. And Devin Ford's going to come up in the second segment uh, with a question that I don't think people realize, but it was part of my conversation with, with Marcus Freeman. But, you know, I, I, I want to bring this up because we're talking about your series, Tim, and I'm doing the first rate series. It's the 13th mm-hmm. year that I've done this, for better or for worse, because it drives you crazy. <laughs> Putting together the wide receivers and tight ends, in addition to the transfer portal with this, it's a, it's a, it's a monstrous collection of information i want to speak for the subscribers right now and just say how dare you go ahead <laughs> i had nordame sixth uh in wide receivers and tight ends and the comment was made well nordame better reevaluate where they are if they're behind louisville and they're behind wake forest and look and so i i started looking at where it's some other teams that are behind like in their conference like Oregon State's offensive line is way better than USC's and Oregon's. USC and, needed to bring in three starters for the transfer portal. Right, right. Kansas's <laughs> running back situation is better than Oklahoma's. You know, I mean. Think about that. Yeah, I. you know, these, again, if you look at everything in a vacuum and you only look at Notre Dame and say, oh, Notre Dame's screwing up, you can't be the best at your position every year. And Louisville brought in, Louisville brought in receiver, established receivers, from Cincinnati, Jackson State, and Georgia State. And you say, oh, Jackson State, Georgia State. Well, those guys can end up in the NFL, and those guys are experienced football players. Who does Notre Dame have a wide receiver that has that has accrued experience? Now, then the, the, the response to that is, well, then you're just going off of statistics. No, I'm projecting too, but experienced players are better than inexperienced players. It's always been that way, and it will always be that way. Not in each individual case, but in general, that that's that's the case. So you're trying to weigh some different things. And look, Sam Hartman can raise that Notre Dame receiving core from sixth to third in a heartbeat. Um, I don't think they're going to surpass Ohio State's receiving core or USC's. But, but Tim, what if Sam Hartman went to Ohio State? That's the point. Ohio State's receiving core then would be ridiculously over Notre exactly. Dame's instead exactly. of just way much and over reason, Notre Dame. That's... And the reason Wake Forest receiving core is red so high is because Sam Hartman was throwing the football yes. to him and they all came back. So it's all relative. I the, the point I tried to make ultimately was forget about the ranking. That's why I stopped putting numbers by each recap and just put it at the end. But everybody still, of course, goes to the end <laughs> to see where I have them. Where I have them. <laughs> but uh you know, and like I said, Wake Forest, Duke has a Duke has a veteran group of receivers with a good quarterback. So, yeah. uh, look, my again, my last point, and then we're going to wrap this up. The whole idea of first rate is not to necessarily say, okay, they're first, second, because 
if I rank a team fourth and seventh, that's that's a three-point swing on a 13-point scale. It could be minuscule, but it's a three-point swing, which is yeah. a lot in that in that ranking. The point is Louisville, Duke, and Wake Forest, when Notre Dame plays those teams, be aware that they have good receivers. That's the point of the series. That's how I always look at it. The point of the series is this That's team has a good position group to look right. at. So, when, yeah. so if Wake Forest has a big day, you know, with their receivers, like it isn't because Notre Dame sucks per se. That'll be the first reaction of many. It's because look, they're good players going against what should be a pretty good secondary. So, but without Sam Hartman, a quarterback for Wake Forest. I wanted to, before we wrap up, I want to put one final bow on the know your foe transfer thing. Imagine being a Clemson fan for the transfer portal and yeah, absolutely refusing to bring in anybody. You know who Clemson added? A walk-on quarterback. <laughs> Dabble doesn't play that game, man. He just doesn't. And I, I, It's going to cost them. It's yes. going to cost them if he doesn't make some adjustments to it. I, I, you know, that's, we, it's pointed out all the time where Nordane loses a competitive advantage. Clemson is losing a competitive advantage. No problem getting defensive linemen, however. Yeah, Coming they, back, segment two, burning up the boards. All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm gonna leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Segment two, burning up the boards. We have a double question or related question here. First, Coast E-Rate. What are your realistic expectations for Jalen Sneed this year? And on the related note, Insane ND Tucson wonders, I'm mildly optimistic that by midseason, Sneed will be a full rotation player, especially in passing situations. What does he need to do to augment or supplant snaps from the starting linebacker trio? Just want to let me respond to the second question first. Again, we're looking for Jalen Sneed to beat out Jack Kaiser and JD Bertrand. It's not going to happen, so don't don't anticipate that. They're too important to the defense. However, coming off the edge, yeah, you know, Tim, I think you made a really good point about Jalen Sneed. It was your comment in my counting down series uh, on Jalen Sneed, and you said something like, "What position does he play?" He does not, other than edge rusher, he does not have, and that's big, that's huge, yeah, but he does not awesome. have it, especially on this, the, the, the this team, this, yeah. defense, this defensive line, but he's a pass rusher. Right now he's a pass rusher. He's not going to, he's not going to supplant one of the inside linebackers. You don't want him to, you want him playing to his strength, which is coming off the edge. And I'm, Pretty convinced at this point that that's going to happen a lot. Yeah, and he sort of, go ahead. Yeah, Pete. just needs to be an athlete. And you know how we describe people as hybrids or tweeners. Like hybrid, I feel like is a positive. Tweener is sort of has a pejorative. And I feel like Sneed right now is a tweener. Um, 
after this year, we may see him as a hybrid because he can do, maybe he can do a little bit of everything. And right now we're sort of waiting to see the, be more than, you got to be more than just like a really good athlete out there. I don't think enough of our listeners and readers have understand that like the Maris Leofile thing is also kind of a position move that Pete mentioned March, February, that Jack Kaiser was going to spend more time at will, yeah. which automatically means he's winning the will spot, by the way. <laughs> Uh, and that makes Maris Leofau into this other package player that, that I hope the guy we saw in that is that the most second most famous August practice behind Kevin Austin now when Maris Leofau was dominating on third down running all over the place and that we've never seen it again. I, I love Jalen Sneed as a developing player as the season progresses and I hope maybe he hits the ground running against NC State maybe that's all he needs to develop but you saw how they used him in the Gator Bowl he was a situational pass rusher. That was his best chance to play for Notre Dame. I asked him pre-Gator Bowl as a rover, what's the hardest thing? He's like, coverage. I was like, yeah, those covering those slots can be tough. And he's like, oh, covering tight ends can be tough too. I mean, that was a pretty that was a pretty <laughs> self-aware guy right there. Um, I rated Jalen Sneed in our countdown. Tim had him 27. I had him 23. Um, if you guys want to be mad at somebody mad at Kevin Sinclair, that's why he dropped. So I I think Jalen Sneed is gonna have an impactful year for Notre Dame. I also know he's not going to beat out Kaiser or Bertrand. And it's not because Al Golden only prefers Kaiser and Bertrand. It's because they are better football players right now. But Jalen Sneed can make plays for this defense. So you want to say like third down, get him out there. And like, Heck yeah, I would Heck love, yeah. I would love to see him on every special teams unit as well. Right. I mean, Jalen Sneed covering kickoffs. Like I'll just watch that. So if he's on the field for passing downs, and he's on special teams. I mean, he's getting he's getting 30, 35, maybe even up to you know, if, I mean, if it you know, second second and long, he's they're gonna bring him in then. This you know, is important. Well. This would have been Jer- Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa's role as a redshirt freshman, which Jalen Sneed is on the 2018 team when he broke his foot. He was going to play all special teams and come in and help. And they chose Asmar Bilal as their rover who was miscast over Ousu Koromoa, who's the best rover they're ever going to have because he wasn't ready for it yet. It's okay. As long I know the portal era makes it harder, but Jalen Steed should get plenty of snaps this year and in ways he can succeed. Agreed. And, and again, if he doesn't, then that's, then it's probably on Sneed. It's not because the, the, the coaching staff knows they need an athlete like that. Yes pressuring the quarterback and using his athleticism to disrupt the disrupt the opposing offense. So it's up to Snead then to be locked in. Like, like I, I understand. I want to see Snead more than Leofel. Leofel understands the defense. Okay. He's one of 11 and he understands how to make others around him. Even at times when he doesn't look, look good. That's why, that's why he's on the field so much. It's up to Snead to dramatically improve his knowledge of the defense, his role, what the other 10 guys are doing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, I mean, last year he played 39 snaps. If he had 300 snaps this year, I feel like that'd be, that'd be reasonable. That'd be great. But like 300 snaps, that would have ranked 18th on the defense last year. But it would be around like Ramon Henderson. I only know that because I just wrote about Ramon Henderson. Yeah, he had 319. Houston Griffith had 304. Nana had 279. So I think that's sort of about where he should be this year. 
I think if Griffith had 304, Snead should have 305. They'll probably okay. be, if we're looking ahead at that one. And should play in, what, 65 games? Like, how many games did he play? <laughs> Let me Tim, check to see how many tackles he had. Tim, ask the next question, please, because okay. there's a reason for it. Andy Yinzer, predictions for kick return and punt return this year. I'm sure Tyree will be the primary, but who is the second guy at kick return? I think the board will break if Salerno is returning punts, but I doubt they trust a true freshman back there. Is there any chance we get a dose of the blazing freshman class of KK Smith, Jeremiah Love, Micah Bell, or Jaden Greathouse? Not a blazing, but a hell of a return guy in high school. Stumbled upon this in the conversation with Marcus Freeman last week. We were talking about Devin Ford, and he talked about you know how they like him as a running back, and then really emphasized that they love him on special teams. Now I don't think that he, and I didn't press that any further because there's so many questions to ask. But I don't think that means Devin Ford covering kickoffs. I, I think it's returning kickoffs if it's not Chris Tyree. I don't think I, – I mean, I think Chris Tyree has played himself out of that role. I agree. Since the Wisconsin game from a few years ago now. Um, so I could see Devin Ford – you know, when you see Devin Ford run the football as a running back, he looks perfect as a kick return guy. He is a true north-south guy. When the hole's there, he hits it. When he hits it, he hits it with authority. Um, I think that he would be a great choice to be their kick return guy. As far as the freshman, you got to think that Micah Bell gets a really strong look. I know Jaden Greathouse returned punts in the blue goal game, not a blazer. I have no problem with Matt Salerno catching punts. I, I, I just don't, but I get it. I understand why people feel the way they do. Punt returns are such a small part of the game now. I have no problem with Salerno uh, returning putts. But if you could get a Micah Bell or a Jeremiah Love, I don't really know what their background is specifically as punt returners. That'd be great, but they are true freshmen. I think Devin Ford had 58 snaps of special teams work last year. Um, you know, that includes kick coverage, punt coverage, um, punt return. I don't. He didn't. Re- did he? He didn't return. I, you know what? I I'm I'm remiss here. I should I should have those stats right. At my yeah. Finger. But I but I think that could he could he audition for kickoff return? Sure. But I think he's probably somebody who's on almost every special teams as, as any number two running back should be. I think I you know I'm a little different on punt return now because of Great House with his ability to do that and history of doing it. I think if you're going to have a safe guy back there, it's Jaden Greathouse now. Instead of Salerno, I, I think he's the safe guy now. Um, and he might just be the lead guy because, you, as you said, the most important thing is the catch in punt return these days because you are almost always completely covered by a duo or trio of cover men that make you fair catch. That is the that is modern college punt. But people keep talking about Salerno. You know who the leading who the Norton's punt returner was in 2020 and 2021? Kyron Williams. That was the, that was the punt returner. You know how many punts Matt Salerno returned last year in when Notre Dame lost Kyron Williams? He was not the lead punt returner then either. It was Brandon Joseph, who had 18 and was very good at it. Matt Salerno returned five punts last year for 37 yards. He had a long of 28, which was the longest punt return of the season for Notre Dame. He's the, the backup punt, he's the backup punt returner. He's been the backup punt returner since 2020. Yeah, no, I think you're a great point about Great House. Um, and that would be fine too. To answer the question about Devin Ford's background as a kick returner, he had he had 17 while at Penn State, five in 2020, 
12 in, in um, 2021, he averaged 21.5. That doesn't really tell you anything because right, you don't know right. what the blocking was, but he does have a background in that. And so that, that would be something to look, look to uh, when, when fall camp opens in, in July. Go ahead, Tim. We also have the very strange situation of uh, ascribing Matt Salerno to Chris Fink. Like Chris Fink was a good punt returner too. I agree that Matt Salerno is not the best punt returner, but Chris Frank was very good at it. Yes, he was. He was. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I go, if somebody beats Salerno out, great. If they don't, I just don't think that it's that, that big of a deal. Cause it's just not a huge part of it. Would it be nice to have a guy that snaps off 60 yard returns? Great. Then maybe it's Micah Bell. Then maybe it's Jeremiah Love. Maybe it's, maybe it's Devin Ford. Devin Ford did not return any punts at Penn state. Question from Kaiser Wilhelm. When you guys were chatting last week about the places Notre Dame could make improvements, one of the areas mentioned was scouting. Can you give a little more background about how and where Notre Dame could do better? I think it's a place where you're always trying to do better. This isn't like a uh, a Goog or Transfer Portal or NIL topic. It's just a place where you continue to put resources um, they have not had a scouting director for about six months. Uh, should be Matt Jansen from West Virginia, um, who is f- some familiar with Jared Parker. They interviewed a handful of candidates for the job. Like that, you know, in theory, you, you don't want that job to be open as long as it's been open because uh, scouting is a year round process. But um, I just, you know, it's, I talked to Marcus Freeman about it. It's like you're always looking to do find more Joe Alts than you have found. Um, so that's, if you're not going to sign Elijah Rushings uh, or Keon Keeley's or Peyton Bowens, then you need to have more Joe Alts. So I think that's probably where the scouting comes into play is maybe even more important than Marcus Freeman thought it would be when he took the job. I think you're always looking to find more Antonio Carters too. Um, and yeah. it, it seems that fell on Chris O'Leary and that would be great if it was the scouting director bringing it to Chris O'Leary. Of course, as Pete mentions, they didn't have a scouting director, so it was a little tougher in that. When, yeah, when Mar- Mar- Mark- Marcus Freeman gave Chris O'Leary the credit for that one. Yeah, um, but he might not have needed to be getting doing that when, if you had a scouting director in place. And I think the transfer portal is a very big role now for, boy, it's tougher for Notre Dame. It's even harder for Stanford. There's no job at Clemson to do this. Um, scouring the portal and finding some guys you can get in. Because remember, Marcus Freeman told you, Tim, freshman, graduates focus on the freshmen and graduates i think focusing on the freshmen would be awesome because you can actually have a player for a few years there like ohio state bringing in a freshman all-american corner can notre dame ever do that that would be fantastic to help the program i don't mean corner right now but the corner has history has been a spot notre dame could use players in the past a little background on matt jansen i wrote about him real briefly in uh, thursday thoughts last week he yeah, uh, as Pete mentioned, um, his path crossed with Jared Parker's for one season at West Virginia. His background is mainly, though, in the NFL. He started out as a scouting intern for the Houston Texans for three years. Then he moved on to the Baltimore Ravens for three years as player personnel assistant. And then he went back to the Texans, <laughs> excuse me, as a <clears throat> college scouting director. So He's got a good background. I don't know much about him beyond that. Uh, Pete, I don't know if you. I I don't either. I I think it's, you know, we'll probably need some time. He needs to be here before we sort of know what he's about. 
I want I want to go ahead and rip on ourselves here. Um, when that role came up and everybody on the board was talking about all their favorite writers to go get the job at Notre Dame. You want to reread his background in scouting again, Tim, and see which writer wants to take that instead? Put your resume in as a writer and say, I'd like to scout for Notre Dame against this guy in the NFL the entire time. Let's be real about that. Uh, question from Jackman99. What must Notre Dame do to land defensive tackle Justin Scott out of Chicago? Uh, I mean, beating Ohio State in a epic program-defining moment would be helpful um, for multiple reasons as long as Justin Scott is at the game. But I, I do think, like, look, Notre Dame, I thought one of Notre Dame's biggest keys for the month of June in recruiting is Justin Scott stays uncommitted and uncrystal un balled, which I think that they have come through unscathed in that way. I like your latter point. Um, I think that's crucial, too, because I, I no longer believe the uh, five-star July pledge in the NIL era. And as Pete said, I don't think this is going to happen, but if Ohio State comes in and Justin Scott's pledged to Notre Dame and Ohio State beats him 38 to 7, I think things can change in a young man's mind. They're not all Manti Teo who decide to go to Notre Dame when they visit the worst game ever. Uh, yeah, it's it's when that it's when the recruitment during the year and Pete. I think Notre Dame playing in a playoff game would help too, not just beating Ohio State. Having one loss and making the playoff as the four seed wouldn't hurt. I think my answer to the question is that Marcus Freeman, this has got to be uh, not that, not that Justin Scott isn't a priority, but I think Marcus Freeman, Marcus Freeman is the one that has to win the rec the recruiting here. Uh, and no it's, doubt. It's I, I agree. Understanding that he's on top of that. And so that is the best way for this to go. Notre Dame's way is that Marcus Freeman. Uh, I don't necessarily want to say undivided attention on, on uh, Justin Scott, because there's so many other recruiting battles to to wage but uh, i think marcus freeman has to be at the forefront of it is it indelicate if i say a million dollars yeah i'll just yeah. move on here that'd be good too yeah <laughs> fighting <Well>. irish <laughs> fighting irish lover seven or tim priester compare and contrast chad bowden and vinnie serato also any shareable funny vinnie stories you can share publicly apparently fighting irish lover seven knows something about vinnie serato for the way he worded uh, that <laughs> Vinny was a unique cat. Chad Bowden's a unique cat. Uh, I would, I think, I think uh, the mothers of players with Chad would trust Chad Bowden more than they would <laughs> Vinny Serato. I don't have any, I just remember, I don't have a specific funny story about Vinny Serato, but, but, but Vinny was, Vinny worked in the shadows. There's, there's no doubt about that. And I could, I remember him being at practice and I was standing next to him. Practices were all open then. And standing next to him was a high school senior, Mirko Jerkovic. And uh, Merk was a, a, a man of few words when you didn't know him very well. And obviously at that point, I didn't know him very well. And Vinny's just talking him up and asking him questions. And what do you think, Merk? This and that. And, you know, this player and that player, you played against this player. What do you think, Merk? And Merk wouldn't say anything. He had big dip in. Merk would <laughs> Merck would just spit and Vinny would go on to the next question. <laughs> Merkel didn't say a whole lot that day, but uh, now Vinny was a, Vinny was a master salesman. It was a big deal the day that he was, you know, calling recruits before kickoff in, was it in Miami? I think it was, that was a big deal back then. Um, not so much of a big deal now, but Nordame, Nordame's recruiting is in really, really good hands with Chad Bowden. I think he's a guy that is, um, you know, a nonstop worker, a guy that understands how to pass on the Notre Dame message. 
And I would just feel a lot more comfortable with Chad Bowden leading things than Vinny Serrano. But boy, Vinny brought in Vinny brought in the talent that led to a 64-9-1 role for Notre Dame under Lou Holtz. Yeah. I know. Whoever the recruiting coordinator was for the 1990 recruiting 90, class, yeah. like that's we could put a statue somewhere on campus of that guy. Hey. <laughs> might, might be in the woods by one of the lakes, but whatever. Just put some out there. I knew Pete was going to mention 1990. So I'll just go ahead and when Tim, when you mentioned at the Miami game calling recruits. Back in the day when things were going wrong. Well, two years later, Chris Zorich, Mike Helt, Todd Light, Ricky Waters, Tony Brooks, Tim Ryan, George Williams, Andre Jones, Scott Kolakowski. They're all signing on. Those are hard guys to uh, to bring to Notre Dame when things weren't going well. Because remember, 1990, things were going really well for Notre Dame. Yeah, 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 they were. And I think those phones back then, I think it was like as big as a shoe, you know, holding it up <laughs> yeah. here. The uh, Zach Morris Saved by the Bell phone for anyone yes. of our age. <laughs> there you go. Double question here. First one from Judge Arthur Vandalay. Any recent info about the upcoming apparel deal? It seemed like Nike was a leader in the clubhouse until recently as a couple of weeks ago. Now it seems more likely Nordane will stay with UA's willingness to increase its offer and make Nordane its flagship ship, ship program. And then a question from Hartman Nandy, quarterback one. Do you think NIL will be a factor with the new apparel deal. Will Notre Dame partners start paying acquisition fees for players? I don't think NIL will be a factor for the new apparel deal. I do think NIL would have been a great factor in the apparel deal. Uh, yeah, I I think it's a conversation Notre Dame yeah. would have with the new apparel person or company, but I don't, I don't know what that looks like on a piece of paper, nor will we probably ever know what it looks like on a piece of paper. But I wouldn't I, put it on a piece of paper. I just I think Notre, Notre Dame separate. would you'd be making a mistake at this point if if especially if you're going with Under Armour, if you didn't be like, hey, we want to structure the deal in a way that like we're funding something other than our own athletic department directly. Absolutely. Um, but to the first question, if I had to guess today, I would guess Under Armour. Yeah, and Pete, you were taking the words out of my mouth when you're talking about this funding being a part of the deal. I think that's exactly what Under Armour's offer is. It does include monies. I don't, I don't know. I want to say directly. I think I think their offer is greater, and it plays to the whole idea of of playing up to NIL. Now, with regard to the question about. Nike was a leader in the clubhouse. And the, I don't, I mean, I don't know that that's reality. We Nike talk was my that. leader. That doesn't mean it was the leader. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I, I think I said at one point, I think Nordame's ready for Nike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't mean that they were the leader. We were just speculating at that point. Um, Pete, you just said you think Under Armour is going to win. Tim O'Malley, who's going to win? I agree. Under Armour will win. Um, I really hope NIL is involved. And I'll use the word direct. There should be direct. Uh, well, how else are you going to pay them? There's direct well, payments like, coming. <laughs> Let's with just... Under Armour. You watch Under Armour commercials. Um, South Carolina women's basketball is featured in them. Um, it's pretty easy to have NIL work in a, in a sort of classic NIL sense here. If Under Armour says like, hey, we're going to pay uh, Sam Hartman to be in a commercial um, and like sort of negotiate that terms or that the, that opportunity as part of the apparel deal. Like I would think that would, that would make sense. And Notre Dame would be comfortable with it. Why are you not comfortable with paying a f incoming freshman 
in that same role instead of your outgoing graduate transfer senior. Put him, put him in a commercial. Just do it. I mean, I, I'm, I would love to see a Justin Scott Notre Dame Under Armour commercial. A pledged, a pledged recruit. I'm not going crazy here. I mean, an actual <laughs> pledged recruit. <laughs> but they put him in a commercial. Just do it. No, but up, up. No, I, I, I mean, I, I think Under Armour's, Under Armour's offer has NIL baked into it, and I also think that whereas the first contract was heavily loaded with stock options, I think this is more a cash offering on the part of Under Armour, and I will make it unanimous. I think Under Armour will win the bid for um, Notre Dame's apparel. Isn't it better business to have an NIL commercial, a true NIL commercial? This is actual NIL would be your name, image, and likeness on a commercial for a young incoming player than it is Sam Hartman. Who does not need the money, by the way? True, uh, true. You yeah, don't want I mean, to give it to. A, they don't want to give it to a guy that's unproven. Well, I mean, I, I, there's I mean, an entire media industry, twenty four seven, as part of it, based on guys who are unproven. Like it's an entire I business. I get that, but we're talking about Notre Dame. I think they're more comfortable giving that to Sam Hartman than they are to somebody in that position. That that look, that's. I bet Marcus Freeman would be like, you know what? Let's get Justin Scott in a commercial. I'm sure he would be all for that. I'm you sure can sack Sam Hartman in the commercial. That'll be fun. Let's cool. do that. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> we know. I, I'm just. I'm just saying. We know how Notre Dame works and the pace that they come to the realization of things. And well, the fact that we're talking about like an apparel deal with NIL baked into it that's a that's a move forward. Yes, but a necessary move thing. forward. It is so still like, necessary just, move forward. I, yeah. the, that phrase that I use there, Pete, do you agree with that, that that's what their contract offer is? That it would have NIL baked into it? Yes. I I don't know that that's the case. I just think it would be borderline foolish if it didn't. Yes, okay. bad business. Yep, I agree. Jay Marasco, have you been able to watch any basketball practices or workouts? What are your overall impressions of practice organization, coaching, and team chemistry? Anyone sticking out, potential starting lineup? We have <laughs> we have not been there. So we, I don't have a potential starting lineup or necessarily who's sticking out. Uh, I have contacted Notre Dame about attending one of those practices and later in July is, is being planned. Yeah, they'll open one up, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, Bray was, opened it up I mean, and he was yeah, Bray opened it up, right. but it's Shrewsbury and he's, you know, he's new. And I look, here's one thing from the, the hour that I spent with Shrewsbury. I think that players are going to be developed much better. I think their, their, the, their entire games are going to be developed much better. And I'll give you an example. And I just happened to see a clip that Norton put out the other day of J.R. Konesny, not only driving to the basket, but forcefully finishing at the bucket. Now we don't, that wasn't his game in high school. He was a shooter, right? He was brought into Notre Dame as a shooter. You know, he's a great, he's a great leaper, probably the best jumper on the, in the program right now. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that they didn't have him penetrating to the bucket and trying to finish, but Micah Shrewsbury said directly to me that J.R. Kinesti has to be more than a shooter. He has to penetrate, go to the basket hard and finish forcefully. Lo and behold, I see a clip put out by Notre Dame of J.R. Konesny doing exactly that. And so that, in addition to what was said to me in that interview, leads me to believe that 
guys are going to, you're not just going to, this is just your role. They were, I, I believe Shrewsbury and his coaching staff will try to develop the full basketball player. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but when I saw the question, that was my first reaction to it. In terms of player development, um, can you guys tell me what Jalen Pickett, Seth Lundy, LaFonso Ellis, and Elmer Bennett have in common? Probably not, Tim. Jalen Pickett and Seth Lundy were Penn State draft picks this year in the same season into the NBA. The last time Notre Dame had that, it was LaFonso Ellis and Elmer Bennett. Wow. Hmm. Now, LaFonso Ellis and Elmer Bennett are better than Jalen Pickett and Seth Lundy, and I don't remember Pickett and Lundy, so I'm just going to say that broadly, but I'm promising you they are. However, think about that. 1992 was the last time Notre Dame had two guys drafted. That's unbelievable. That doesn't seem like a huge, like a high bar to clear. I can't believe that. I know. That's because they get one good guy four years, so it becomes a pretty big bar to clear. Well, with, hey, only, with only two rounds, it obviously makes it in 92. Well, but Elmer Bennett was a second-round pick, so it counts. Okay. He's, he was, there, that, were more, that, there were more rounds than that then, right? I don't know when it stopped, but there used to be seven. I don't know what it I don't changed. think it stopped in 92, but there were more rounds than that back yeah, in the day. Nordheim recruited Seth Lundy. I, I was hopeful at one point that Nordheim would land him. Turns out it would have been good if they had him. It's been proven. <laughs> well, at least under at least under Micah Shrewsbury's development, anyway. Yeah, I lost, from, yeah you got it. I lost my question here after yeah, all. I'm going I'm, I'm to put actually <laughs> two together. Dylan Murphy is 2 What would Sam Hartman have to do to win the Heisman? And then Martin Evenflow rank these scenarios from most to least likely to happen over the next 10 years. One, Notre Dame football wins a national championship. Two, Notre Dame football joins the Big Ten. Or three, Notre Dame has a Heisman Trophy winner. Let's start with the first one. What does Notre Dame, what does Sam Hartman have to do for, for him to win the Heisman Trophy this year? All right. Heisman Trophy is presented in December, so I think Notre Dame has to go 12-0. and And he would, uh, if Notre Dame goes 12-0, and Sam Hartman is going to be one of the at reasons to go 12-0. At least yeah, make the playoffs. win... Win is going to probably take more than twelve and zero, but um, yeah, I assume win, he would be great if they go 12 win and twelve and zero is like a, then you can have a conversation about it. But winning it, we, he would have to what forty five touchdown passes and four picks, like basically a ten to one TD to INT ratio. O'Malley, you weren't here last week, but Joe Burrow was sixty to six. But he can't be that. He's like, he's not. We can't do Joe Burrow. I, I swear, like 15 of those were after he won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. <laughs> well, 60. Uh, 60. You know, okay. I mean, if you win over Ohio State, USC, and Clemson, then, then you got a really good chance. He didn't play poorly if that happens, trust me. Yeah. So if they, if they win those games and he played up to Sam Hartman level expectations, they would probably lose to one. <laughs> there, there are so many landmines. This, this, I'm sorry, this schedule has so many damn landmines in it. It's unbelievable. Well, Pete has outlined how to get rid of landmines. He throws 60 touchdowns and six picks. And then there's no landmines whatsoever, right, Pete? We're all set. <laughs> it's yeah. just It's over if he does that. Well, it, it turns out Joe Burrow only threw 48 uh, touchdown passes at the awarding of the Heisman trophy. And then he threw seven against Oklahoma and five against Clemson. <laughs> well, uh, while we're talking about the schedule and I can't seem to be able to pull it up here, it shouldn't be that hard. Should it? I got to memorize from this. memory. Have I got this. No, your series. Trust I, me. Okay, I, but I want to, I want to read uh, 
seven games in a row to you. And and again, like somebody said the other day on our message world, why you know, I, I just can't picture Notre Dame losing to Duke. Well, they play Ohio State the week before, then they go to Duke. You know, and oh yeah, it's that's the number one. That's a trap. If you don't see it, you don't watch college football. Here are the seven in a row. Ohio State won eleven games last year. Duke won nine. Louisville won eight. Southern Cal won eleven. Pittsburgh won nine. Clemson won eleven. Wake Forest won eight. Those are consecutive opponents. Two buys, right? Two buys mixed in. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Buys mixed in, uh, which which certainly which certainly helps, but. It's, you know, that that's just a lot of good teams on any given Saturday. I don't know why we, I don't know why collectively as college football followers, we're surprised at upsets when they happen. I am not at all it surprised happens. at upsets. No, you're, no, but <laughs> like to think that Duke can't and shouldn't ever beat Notre Dame at Duke with Mike Elko, it's got it going on with a really good quarterback and a good receiving core. Haven't really gotten to the defense yet. That it it happens in college football all the time, not just to Notre Dame, but to a lot of teams. I don't know why that is always so surprising amongst college football followers when it happens virtually every week during a season. Well, Sam Harvard's not winning the Heisman Trophy if Notre Dame loses Duke. No, <laughs> that <was the> point. <laughs> uh, That's why it's hard to win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. It's, yeah. What if it was a uh, 48-45 shootout and they beat Ohio State, USC, and Clemson? I think Duke is, uh, is disqualifying. If you lose to Duke, bad things happen. <laughs> well, you've proven that. We've Notre Dame has proven that before. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, in terms of, you know, by the way, I want to piggyback, Tim, your, your seven in a row. That seven in a row is why they really, really have to beat NC State because that's a one-off game where you absolutely can focus on NC State after Tennessee State and before Central Michigan. I agree. I didn't even mention NC State in that group, but NC State, I think they're going to take a step back. I think they're going to take a step back this year. Um, I don't know how major, but um, lost a lot of really, really good personnel. Uh, But still, you got to play them, you know, on the road with probably still of a, a bit of an Ireland hangover you know, what right. ultimately is less than two weeks later because of the, the travel involved. Right? How about the scenarios, the national championship, joining the Big Ten, or a Heisman Trophy winner? Pete, go ahead. Is it? I have Big Ten the most likely of those three, <laughs> which sounds weird to say because I don't think it's likely, obviously. But, um, yeah, I'll go Big Ten one. National championship two, Heisman three. See, I can't, I can't, I can't list. I mean, I list Heisman one because I do too. I list Heisman one because winning the national title requires you to go through the playoffs. You can win, you can win the Heisman without playing a playoff game. So I'd pick that number one. Uh, wow, that's tough because of the landscape of college football now with the Big Ten. Winning national title is going to be real. Winning the national title becomes even more difficult next year. No, it, it does. That's why I have it three. I, if you kept the same format, I would say winning the national titles one with four, with the two-game format. But you have one more year to try that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how. I'd definitely pick Heisman one because you can do it. Because then you can go 12-0 and 0 during the regular season. He can win it. 
You can throw 60 touchdowns. No problem. Let's go get that done. It's right there. <laughs> they're all they're all unlikely, though. That's why it was a good question. We should give credit where credit is due. Right, we addressed everything there. We are going to wrap up here with a question from ND Second Stringers with a Z at the end. Choose the most likely All-American on offense this season for Notre Dame outside of Hartman Alt Fisher and most likely All-American on defense outside of Benjamin Morrison. Um, offense has two options and one is easier to become the all American. So option two is estimate because he's running behind Alton Fisher. And option one is Zeke Carell because it's much easier to become the all American center than running back with all the running backs coming back in college football. Yeah, I would go Carell one. Um, I mean, the Remington watch list has like 50 guys on it. Um, and I think a, a fifth year center at Notre Dame with name recognition, who's played a bunch of football, like on a, at a offensive line type of school, like Corral, I would put definitely one over estimate. Cause I don't think estimate stats are going to be like all American level um, compared to some other places. Defense. Well, Morrison's a great choice. Uh, I do like the Morrison choice. So for defense, let's go back to this, guys. Notre Dame has to go 12-0 and 0 for a Notre Dame All-American defensive player as well. I think that because you have to have the recognition. The recognition is crucial. Or 11-1. and 1, You know, 11-1 and 1 and the player's great. He makes plays. Like Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa became an, was great. But if he didn't do that against Clemson, would he have been a first-team All-American Buckus winner? I feel no, like that cemented everything right there. Yeah, he had a moment. Yeah, I think he still may have been. I, that, that's that's hard to say. It was. Well, he won the Buckus Award, though. I don't think. I think that moment cements it for people like that. I think you have. Yeah. I mean, that the moment counts. It's one of twelve, and it's the biggest one, right. so it's a big deal. Like most avid avid college football fans, whether they're Nordic fans or not, can picture the scoop and score, what or, yeah. or what exactly what that was against Clemson. Certainly, Corral. I. I, I I don't, I, I mean, I don't see that. I, I just, I don't see that. I don't think he's, I mean, I think he's going to have a fine year. But did you think so, like looking back, Braxton Cave was third team All-American in 2012. Was he the third best center in the country? Yeah. Just felt I like third, third team All-American center is not like not running same back. Third, third team All-American running back. You have to run for like 1600 yards. Yeah. I, I just, I think there, I think there are too many missed plays by Corral. At least there have been up to this point. We're, I don't think writers it? know that if they're 12 and 0 and no, he's okay. All right. Then we know then I know too much about I look, I think he's I think he's gonna have a fine uh right. senior year. It looks like he's holding weight now. He's a very experienced player and centers his best position. So uh my guess would be estimate though. Uh but that's hard because Hartman's going to throw, they're going to throw the football so much too. So that'll estimate be could have moments. We just said Jeremiah Usu Koromoa. Maybe estimate's moments are Game-winning touchdown against USC yeah. and game-winning touchdown at Clemson, along with great stats. Yeah, I mean, did did uh, Kenneth Walker did most of his damage against quality competition a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, that's how I remembered him. That that's when be, I was voting yeah, for him. My guess on defense is Batello. Oh wow! I mean, Mine's... if he had twelve, if he had, I don't know, 12, 14 sacks. I, I'm not fourteen sacks. That. Well, I'm not predicting that, but he's okay. their top pass rusher. So I'm not predicting 60 touchdowns either, Pete, but it would help. Yeah. But, but there's <laughs> I, you know, if I mean JD Bertrand, I agree. Can I, I say that's it out loud? I think it would be. I, that's who I think it would be. Well, he's gonna make a ton of plays. 
He's in the middle of everything. He knows where to be. And you can't be eight and four to have any of these conversations count. So you're 11 and one or 12 and I, I really, I think that's the one too. I don't think he's going to be an All-American. I'm saying you have, if you're making me pick one other than Morrison, I'm picking Bertrand. Yeah. Kenneth Walker ran for 1,636 yards and 18 touchdowns. Well, I have a hard time yeah, seeing yeah, Audrey well, They were all against Michigan, too. I know it was a really impressive <laughs> game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, everybody, God, everybody, by now, everybody knows I think J.D. Bertrand's a really, really good college football player. And I didn't, I didn't say him, but I just, I don't know. Well, some, I don't think he's gonna be an all-American. No, but I have to pick no, someone. But I would well, I'd pick Botello before him because you can okay. do it based upon sacks, not tackle totals. You can you can do it based upon sacks. If he had a high number in sacks and did it at, he had let's say he had a uh forced fumble that was a scoop and score that beat Ohio State or something, you know, something along those lines. But like Tommy Eichenberg was a consensus second team All-American, five different organizations picked him. And it's because he was a very good player on a team that went to the playoffs. Yeah. How, what were his stats? I don't know. I don't know what stats off the top of my head. Know, we, Tommy we, all, of, all of this conversation centers around Notre Dame going 11 and one or 12 yes. in yeah. season, which I think is going to be difficult to do. Don't you? Yes. But otherwise these conversations don't, don't exist. So we might as yeah. well be a pretty boring podcast. Otherwise, <laughs> oh, yeah. Eichenberg had 120 tackles, 12 tackles for loss one pick and scored a touchdown against Iowa, which I guess was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> People might've seen it. Who knows? But I, It's like, if, if you said JD Bertrand had that stat line, I'd be like, okay, I, it's, I, it's very reasonable. And okay. We keep talking 11, 1, 12 and 0. This also requires Nordic's defense to take a significant step forward. Well, they have two all Americans outside of Benjamin Moore. So we just decided right now. So we're all set. <laughs> Those are possibilities. We'll see. Hey, we're going to, uh, we're going to take a break from our Irish Illustrated Insider podcast next week uh, with, uh, with a holiday on Tuesday, and then we'll be back. We'll let you know more specifics for the following week after that. But this was fun. We had a bunch of good questions, had to exclude a bunch of good questions. Good to have you back, Tim O'Malley. The threesome back in, uh, in true form here once again. So until next time, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Did you know that the unique O'Connell Bridge in Dublin, Ireland is the only one in all of Europe that is as long as it is wide? Discover this fascinating fact and more on the number one bus tour in Ireland, the Do Dublin Hop On Hop Off City Tour, which stops at all of the city's iconic attractions including crossing the famous O'Connell Bridge. You won't want to miss out. Book your city tour now at dodublin.ie forward slash Irish Illustrated.